2: Hello and welcome to the Nylar9 podcast. (laughs) We're back again. Uh, It's myself, Nylar9, and my co-host, Andrea Cleary. Hello. We're good, we're good. Um, yeah, it's been a busy old week and uh, glad to be back on the podcast. We had a long episode last week, um, which you could, we? if you haven't yes, checked out. some
3: of our listeners might only be finished listening to it now
2: we <laughs> yeah, started last week. Two hours, um, but I think on this episode we're going to be maybe a little bit shorter than two hours for sure. Oh, we'll see. Um, we've got an interview coming up with The Gloaming that Luke Sharkey did um, just before they did their last show as part of their seven date residency in National Concert Hall you we were re- there right I was yes uh, we will talk about that in a bit maybe and mm. um, I, I really enjoyed it yeah it was great uh, and we also have an album of the week from a strange Japanese group, which we'll talk about as well, called Yay! Chai. Um, so we'll get to that. But first, what's going on in the world of music? Well, Grimes is back in some capacity. <laughs> this week, she released a, a new song, but it's she doesn't call it a single or anything like that.
3: Of course, she doesn't.
2: No, um, she dropped a demo called Pretty Dark, and it's called. This isn't from an AOR musical. I'm working on. She said. Hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of there's a lot of worry. or a musical like augmented reality?
3: Oh, okay. Of course. Yeah, of course. Like, <laughs> sure.
2: We're all making them. Yeah. Um. Very strange. Uh, it was just like a fine old song that just appeared, and with her, um, self-made video, kind of made from her laptop, kind of thing. Mm. Um, doesn't really leave much of an impression, but it's got me a bit worried about Grimes and in general and where she's heading. First of all, there's a lot of change happening and not mm. just climate change because her new album is about climate change. <laughs> so she announced on Instagram uh, that her new album is going to be called Misanthropicine. I think that's how you say it. Yes, I think so. Uh, yeah, anyway, um, and there's a zero in there because you know internet. Yeah. Um, so Claire Boucher last year decided that she was going to change her name to C as in the speed of light. Change her actual birth name um, lowercase on italics.
3: <laughs> this I missed because somehow this wasn't the most dramatic thing that she's done in the past No, year. this
2: was last year that she said she was going to do this but she's also said that she's planning on killing off her primary artist persona grimes as well mm. so that's a bit of a worry for me i um, like
3: yeah she's been having trouble with her label so she's with 4AD and there was a um, there was some talk on her instagram in comments um with her fans uh, a fan asked are are the two albums coming together or separately because there was talk of there being two albums and she replied separated by a period of time one final album for my shit label, and then my first album on a label of my choosing, which I'm crazy stoked about. E, or I might go fully independent, researching options. The second one will be extreme darkness and chaos. The first will be highly collaborative and most glorious light.
2: Hmm, I don't know if I can follow where she's going. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Every, I it really look. Right? It yeah. all depends on the songs, right? It all depends on. In terms of killing off the name Grimes, she said it will be a public. Proper- execution followed by something else Uh, I'm super bound by the limits I've set myself with Grimes and it would be easier for me if I wasn't stuck with the branding I made in 2009 you know this was an Mm -hmm. interview she did with uh, the Wall Street Journal this week and uh, she explained the album uh, Miss uh, which is called Miss Anthropocene, as a concept album about the anthropomorphic goddess of climate change each song will be a different embodiment of human extinction as depicted through a pop star demonology I want to make climate change fun She said People don't care about it Because we're being guilted I see the polar bear And I want to kill myself No one wants to look at it You know I want to make a reason To look at it I want to make it beautiful Okay So um, Uh, Some
3: of the working titles For the songs are uh, That's what drugs are for So heavy I fell through the earth Dark souls with a Q um, What else Blaze forever Like a useless star Favourite psycho Nymphs suffer sigh before the fever. So it's it's all it's all grime so far, right?
2: Yeah, but it's been going in an increasingly um singularly kind of almost annoying capacity in the last few, two years for her. <laughs> like she's a great artist and I remember when she played in the Olympia. Did you go to that gig in the The one Dublin? where she had the
3: technical difficulties. Yeah. She, yeah, yeah.
2: She got electrocuted. Um yeah. like she was so she cool was and so great. Good. And it was such a brilliant show. But I just feel like everything, like she did that song, would bring me the horizon, and it was poor. and Like yeah. we appreciate power. Like
3: I, I haven't been don't like a it. fan of like anything she's done.
2: She's talked since. a lot about like darkness and like new metal and like mm. emo stuff, and you're like, oh, I can't. Cause follow. It, well,
3: it's funny because I, I feel like her influences are really, really cool. Like I remember watching one of those what's in my bag videos, you know, where they go in and get some stuff in a record shop. And she has these like really strange, um, she's got really cool and really kind of out there music tastes. And uh, I listened to the albums that she was, that she was picking out and I thought they were really cool, really out there. But I don't know. I, I don't know whether it's the, the cynic in me or what, but I don't know how seriously I can take her. When she's sort of amping up that I'm so crazy side of her while also like dating a billionaire, and it's just yeah, and then everything that's happened in the past year with Azealia Banks and everything, I'm just bored of it. Just but
2: like, they're the her and Elon Musk aren't uh, an item anymore, are they? Are they not? Just, no, she she groaned during her interview when mentioned when it was he was mentioned. Uh, I ground out of, I don't know, feminism. <laughs> I mean, he's a super interesting goddamn person. And look, I love him. He's great. And then she, he responded to the magazine said, I love C, that's italicized in lowercase, wild fay artistic creativity and hyper intense work ethic. So, yeah, he um, can't handle her. <laughs> yeah, but I wonder, hope she can handle herself. Um, yeah. Anyway, this is all speculation really, isn't it? Because we, we don't wish really know what's going to come. Claire. Yeah, I'd like to hear some. She she does talk about releasing once-off tracks and EPs here and there. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, I just really would like to her to release a really solid album because um, she has the capacity to release some really interesting music. And she does to do a lot of things in terms of you know sounds and styles and and you know in terms of pop surver- subversion and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and as I've well. always
3: admired that she's pretty, she's... Produces her own music. I remember seeing a a Tumblr post that she made back in the day of like, here's how I produce music. And it was like a step by step. Here's what you do. She always seemed really accessible. Yeah. Just one of those artists who wants to help other people create music. And I just feel like she's maybe getting further and further into space now. And yeah. Interested to hear what she's gotta say about the polar bear though, I guess. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yes, you sound thrilled yeah. at no, the prospect. I am I'm excited. <laughs> so uh, were you back on were you on MySpace back in the day, Andrea? You
4: me? Yeah. yeah, I was. I was oh, on MySpace. God. Yeah.
2: yeah. Um, I was a big MySpace um head i guess Uh, but news came out this week it prompted us to think about MySpace again for the first time and since probably the social network came out (laughs) um, (laughs) that kind of idea that um you know myspace was this behemoth of 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 the world of the internet of uh the mid 2000s early yeah yeah, 2008 2009 2007 around that time myspace was the place to be Mm. um
3: Especially I, for music heads.
2: Especially, yeah, for music heads. I actually found my uh, MySpace page on the Wayback Machine. Now it doesn't it doesn't give away a lot, um, and it's pretty pretty tame in comparison to what other people's might be. Um, I do have some, a lot of pretentious books listed on it. Oh, such as basically any do you book. Have I, Infinite Jest. There. No any any book any book I'd read. It's like a <laughs> it's like a top ten of of student. College books like Homage to Catalonia, any George Orwell, Dubliners, uh, The Catcher in the Rye.
3: Oh no. Kellan Mockingbird, <laughs>
2: uh, Vernon Godlittle. Uh, yeah.
3: <laughs> I couldn't find my MySpace because I didn't use my own name. I'm pretty sure I used some kind of like literary name as my own. But I did, I think I did find my profile picture, which I showed you. Um, on on some other website that had like collected my data, weird, um, and like looking at it, I can't believe that was ever me. Myspace is just such a weird capsule of time and place and yeah. of culture. And it's really, really <laughs> sad that like, Millions of songs have been lost.
2: Well, it's not only millions of songs were lost. Well, so what happened this week was basically that MySpace, who who actually owns MySpace now, um, that's it is still that's a, Tom. No, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately not. He's the most memorable thing about MySpace still. Yeah. Um, but anything, any single, every single piece of content that was uploaded to MySpace before 2016, including millions of songs, photos, and videos, um, have now been deleted due to a faulty server migration. Now, that sounds like a a really good excuse to me. You're like, if you have that much data, that's going to take a lot of time to um, it's going to cost money to host. Mm. It's going to be and like, when was the last time you logged into MySpace?
3: I I like, tried to a few minutes ago. Yeah, like <laughs>
2: ten, ten years, years ago, I'd really say for a lot of people, ago, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, it does it does have us thinking about like the idea of of how big MySpace was and how like you know the the social media it was so new and fresh yeah. then, and like it was such a music platform as well.
3: Well, I think as well we can we can take for granted that now that subcultures exist online now. Whereas MySpace was kind of one of the first examples of that, where you you found your tribe there, you found you found your favorite music there. Um, you might have had your first conversations with a loved one there. Yeah,
2: that's that's me. That's what happened. Myself yeah. and my wife, actually, uh, when we met in real life, we actually started sending messages to each other on MySpace. Yeah,
3: and it's like, uh, it's just that we, kind we, of... Yeah,
2: we courted on MySpace. That's... Yeah.
3: And that's like the first platform where you really do that. Yeah. Um That isn't an instant messenger, you know? And so I, I think it's a shame for for people who are interested in like how subculture exists online and how communities form digitally that you know one of the first major examples of that is just kind of lost now and yeah
2: like i'm thinking about well even just that that example i gave of uh you know like sending messages to my soon-to-be wife um I actually have. She actually gave me a printout of those uh, conversations. Thank God. So yeah. I do have them actually, yeah. which is really cute. And um, but you know, it's that's kind of the like thinking about those little things that you can never get back, or the idea of when you visit somebody's MySpace page, a song would start playing, and yeah. you like instantly got to know what kind of person they were and all yeah. this kind of thing.
3: Or like teaching yourself HTML. To yeah, I think a lot of pe- that's how a lot
2: of people learned yeah. HTML. Really, isn't it? Because yeah. like. You could absolutely destroy your MySpace you profile.
3: Mine had so many gifts on it; it was yeah. disgraceful, and somehow still worked on dial-up internet. Yeah, it's weird because MySpace is one of those places where, like I said, subcultures form. But you know, people might have gotten further into like design and coding and web design. Yeah, from definitely. it, But also music, also art, also just you know, just strange. If I look at things. my
2: MySpace comments, it's basically just reams and reams of um, posters for gigs from local acts and uh, like. You a- should
3: save all them just in case they all get lost. <laughs> that is
2: uh, a lot of them are worth saving, to be honest.
3: <laughs> An archivist would disagree. <laughs>
2: now, here's a comment here from the band Halves in November 18, 2008. Well, presumably when bands used to go around to people's MySpaces and just leave yeah. comments. Uh, if you're, you and herself are about this Saturday, we're oh. doing our biggest and last headline for a while with full visuals and support from villagers.
3: Oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> 2009, there you go. That's yeah. amazing. It's mad <laughs> to just look ago. at that kind of stuff. But I think that gets to uh, the whole idea of, you know, we are, we exist. And I think about this a lot in terms of like photographs and, you know, we're. I don't have a lot of printed photographs in, mm. in my life and I have gone and printed out some over the time, but I do have them all backed up on either it's like, you know, Google Photos or Flickr. I still have a Flickr which I'm getting rid of. But actually. all these
3: things can they can all go.
2: They can, yeah. Yeah. Like it's like where the, the ephemera of of our youth is kind of like when it lives online, you never you're never gonna see it again. Yeah. Um so Especially
3: like, for millennials who didn't always have I think for For our generation, it's kind of like we, we uh, as children, it was printed photographs. And then when you move into your teen years, you get used to just putting stuff online. And now it's like, if, if these things crashed, if they went away, we would lose so much. So yeah, if this MySpace thing has kind of taught us anything, it's that there is, even though you might look back and you're embarrassed and you can't believe that that person was ever you, it's definitely worth saving those things don't throw out your diaries like (laughs) (laughs) you know
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's gas um god it's just looking looking through all of these um old comments from from back in the day and just like bringing me back to a lot of
3: i used to get invited to house parties on in comments like people would be like hey i'm having a party on (sighs) saturday you should come it feels like a public comment yeah it feels
2: like such a uh, uh, another world compared yeah. to where we're at now you and know? I wonder
3: if if in you know 10 years time or 20 years time we'll think back to using Facebook for events in the same way be like oh remember like if a band would be playing and you'd click attending or Scooter's
2: playing uh, uh, the fake uh, uh, events where Scooter are playing yeah, the Crumlin uh, yeah. Shopping Centre <laughs>
3: yeah yeah like <laughs> it's it's weird it's very weird I'm, I'm always very suspicious and um, you know, feel very strange about social media, but it's an important kind of archive of what culture is because we don't really do it elsewhere, Yeah, you know.
2: Yeah. I discovered so many, uh, like, artists, especially, like, local artists as well, but I remember, like, talking to people how accessible... Like artists were on MySpace worldwide, you know, you just send them a message and they'd always see it. Where now it's just like, seems like such a different place. Um, Yeah. And there was always talk of like, oh, Arctic Monkeys and Lily Allen were discovered on MySpace. They were not discovered on MySpace, but they certainly were popularized on those kind of platforms. Um, I guess all that's left to say about MySpace is thanks for the ad. Yeah. (laughs)
3: Thanks for the ad, guys.
2: So what else is going on in Um, in the world of music this week?
3: In other news, uh, Lizzo has just landed on Playboy, which is still a thing. Um, Yeah. Apparently, uh, she is one of only two plus size people to have ever been in the magazine, which is, you know, it's 2019, guys. Let's let's get it together. Um, Magazine's been running since 1953. Mm, It's not great, but... Lizzo is very excited about it. Um, she looks unbelievable. In a perfect world, Playboy wouldn't exist, but this is where we're at. It's good so, representation for strong black women. Who, so why
2: is she doing it? What is her whole MO, do you think? I mean,
3: this? I I guess it's it's promoting body positivity, which is... Which a, she is
2: all about as well. She
3: is all about it, yeah. Um, she's... She's wary of it being hijacked um, by people for whom the movement doesn't really apply. But um, like she, she says that like sometimes positivity results in happiness, and I think that she's just approaching this with joy and happiness and positivity. Um, and yeah, she just she looks great. She's <laughs> so it's not a it. it's
2: not a like fully. Naked.
3: No, she's, um, Um, she photoshoot. She's in the photoshoot takes place in this like Barbie mansion and she's done up like a kind of an old style diva, loads of jewelry, a bit like the Lady Marmalade video. Right, right, right. That kind of vibe. And she, she does, she looks unbelievable. Um, but it's for me, I'm just sort of, I'm wary of measuring our, um, progression through things like body positivity and representation and feminism by looking at something like playboy. Do you know? (laughs) I
2: mean, it's definitely a part of a marketing campaign and uh, her album is out on April 12th and she just dropped a song, which we'll play shortly. But, um, you know, I think it's why not? She's using something that is not usually open to her as a person to promote herself and to make a statement. Um, it reminds me of something else I've been watching this week: um, the A.D. Bryant TV show, uh, Lindy West, based on Lindy West book, Shrill. Okay, uh, just it's a, a short um, six part series that just premiered on Hulu in America, and so we watched four or five of them. There's a, there's an episode in it. So A.D. Bryant is the Saturday Night Live um, cast member. She's she calls herself fat, mm-hmm. and a lot of it is about actually about body positivity and and you know like. Just owning it and and doing that kind of stuff, and she goes to a swimming pool party for basically uh, plus size women, and uh, it's really it's really cool because it's very empowering, and it's also um, it's really interesting to hear. There's a, a lot of very eloquent thoughts and um, ideas, and like the <laughs> the one that's played for laughs at the very start of the TV show, she goes into a coffee shop and she takes a picture of like toned Tanya, who's like a personal trainer and Mm. there's something funny about it. And she takes a picture and uh, she, the woman grabs, the woman is there and she grabs her wrists and is like, Oh, there's a a little person inside you Mm. learning to get out and all this kind of stuff. And she's really polite about it. And she's like, Oh thanks. Yeah. I hope that little person's okay. And all this kind of stuff. And then all the people, she goes into this coffee shop regularly. And then these uh, people who overhear the conversation, like, I can't believe she said that to you. And then they're like, do you know who you remind me of? Rosie O'Donnell. I was like, <laughs> it's really well done, but it's a lot about, you know, um, body and image and stuff like that as well. Yeah. And Lizzo as an artist is certainly like she is a plus size woman and she's owning that in the best possible way. And she's so fucking cool. I hope the album is really good. And me I, too. Yeah. Like she's great. We talked about the the flute. <sighs> Uh, did you see the there That's was a Will Ferrell video last it. week? Was it Will Ferrell uh, and, uh, doing a thing with Lizzo? No, uh, I didn't. There was, they did a flute off. Oh, Like my a Ron God, Burgundy what? flute off? Yeah, yeah. How did I miss this? Yeah, I don't know. I just saw it there. Uh, last like, week. that
3: was the moment I fell in love with Lizzo. I was just like, right, I'll watch this performance on Ellen. Whips out a flute, <laughs> nails it. She's just, she's unbelievable. And like, she used the opportunity in, in the Playboy interview to like talk about how gender doesn't exist. Like, and just, she's so progressive. And I'm really, really happy that she's, she's paying attention to things around her. She seems to not want to like, you know, own the conversation about gender. She wants to amplify like trans voices and non-binary voices. And she's pushing forward a really positive message with body positivity about black women and their place in the world and their place in like the world of what's sexy. And I I think she's, she's, she's going a long way towards redefining stuff like that. And yeah, she's I'm so glad that she, her star is shining at the moment. She's great.
2: Great, I guess we can go into songs of the week then Because she's our first song of the week uh, Her album, as we said, is out in a few weeks uh, On April 12th It's called Cause I Love You We've heard a few songs from it so far But this is the newest one That dropped featuring Missy Elliott The song is called Tempo Fuck
4: it up, fuck it up, fuck it up. Boyfriend watching Oh Now you wanna knuckle up Get on this ride, baby You gonna have
5: to buckle up Thick thighs, safe flies. Call me little buttercup all means necessary
0: hey. my ass is not an accessory yes. y'all said it accessory yes.
4: twerk skills up on legendary slow songs They for skinny hoes can't move all of this here to one of those hey. i'm a thick bitch i need tempo hey. fuck it up to the tempo <laughs> fuck it up to the tempo <laughs> fuck it up to the tempo slow songs They for skinny hoes <laughs> fuck it up to the
0: tempo let's go let's go let's go, let's go. Let's go. All the- all the big girls down on a prrr. I saw my neck like brr. I'm big bone with nice crrrr. Look at me, I know I look crrrrr. Look good, look good, look good. I'm gonna show y'all chicks how to do. Young
4: lady, what she could.
2: Big girl. As Lizzo teaming up with uh, one of the biggest female artists in the last 30 years, Missy Elliott, and um, that's a nice co sign to get as well, I'm sure. For an artist like that um another i kind of yeah it does kind of uh show you and um, what lizzo's all about there yeah. and a lot of what she talks about
3: slow songs or for skinny hoes <laughs> you know
2: yeah um, she I, said
3: on her on her twitter she put up some pictures of herself and missy which are adorable she said you made this chubby weird black girl believe that anything was possible now we have a banger together till this day you continue to inspire me to make my dreams come true now go fuck it up to the tempo and stream our song. Love you, Missy Elliot. It's just lovely.
2: Another Lizzo banger there. Yeah. There's and it is a own. banger, isn't it? Yeah. She's good at that. Yeah. She makes those kind of tracks. There's a, there was a great track um, last year about like working out and all that kind of stuff. Did you hear that one? Uh, up from There's a great Lizzo. video of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. oh, yeah. great. Really good. <laughs>
3: and it's it's cool now because um, when I heard this, I was like, yeah, this this sounds like Lizzo, like she how quickly she's kind of switched into having this really recognizable style and how well Missy fit in with that, you know, the kind of the hand claps, the fast rhythm all that kind of stuff it makes complete sense that she is on this track and she's really good on the track too indeed indeed
2: okay cool that's Lizzo and that's our first song of the week we will move on to uh, one of your favourite bands uh, the Brian Jonestown Massacre and nice. a song called A Word Brian Jonestown Massacre song is called A Word um, and that is the first song from their how many album?
3: Uh, it's their 18th full-length album. 18th
2: full, have you heard them all?
3: Yeah. Yes. You have? Yes, I have. Uh, a, their last big, one came out big, seven months ago before Seven that. months ago yes we haven't had that long to wait Um I think it was supposed to be released at the end of last year but they were touring and it was going quite well so they delayed the release and so you're a fan. Big fan, big, big. All fan. I
2: really know about the Brian Jones Damascus is the movie Dig, yeah, which is a great watch. Th-
3: that's, I mean, <laughs> um, I wouldn't start someone with that, <laughs> I I don't think. Um, Why not? Yeah, so Anton Newcomb is kind of he, he is the Brian Jones Damascus, and, and um. He's an asshole. He's, he's the worst. Like he's really, really awful. I've seen them live a couple of times and he's just got, he gets into fights with fans. Like it's, it's at the stage where people like go to gigs to antagonize and to try to get that kind of rise out of him. And that's just their, that's just their thing. But on top of that, he makes incredible music. Like he, um, if I was to start someone on the Brian Jonestown Massacre, um, it would be the album uh, Take it From The Man, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's just, it's absolutely stunning from start to finish. And then you can watch the, <laughs> then you can watch Dig. But this is, it's the Brian Jonestown Massacre. It doesn't, you know, stray from that sound. Um, The album came out last week. I've listened through it a couple of times. It's great. Fans are going to love it.
2: It does nothing for me personally. I yeah, have to say. it's
3: I I I don't think if if you didn't know them and you listen to it, I don't know if you get a whole lot out of it. But with me, the this is one of those bands where I'm just like you can kind of just release anything at this stage, and I'm I'm gonna enjoy it because it's right. part of that kind of larger narrative. And you're
2: definitely not the only one. There's a lot of people. They have a lot of fans. Team, certainly yeah, enough they to yeah. maintain a, a career.
3: Yeah, the, and, and like touring, their and fans yeah. tend to be quite like. Devout Are they
2: well. all assholes too, other than yourself? Um,
3: <laughs> mm, maybe. Um.
2: Well, I well, what I guess I want to ask you. Really, is like you talk about somebody like that who's antagonistic,
3: problematic, like. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, a, a different type of problematic favorite, mm. yeah, for, for sure. But um, does that ever get get to you then when you listen to their music and you're like, oh god, this person is an asshole?
3: Um, or does
2: it like not bother I you? I guess
3: sometimes, like, what, there's there might be certain lyrics from early albums that I'll be like, Oh, but like I, I basically don't like when he sings about women, not because he sings about them particularly badly, but I'm just like, I don't ever want to put myself in the place of the person he's singing about, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, But then I think, I, I just think there's it's, some of their songs are like so important to me that you kind of, He lets the mask fall in his music and you can kind of see something a lot deeper. He's he's definitely that kind of, you know, troubled musician, artist thing is like, men want to be him, women want to change him, like blah, 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 that I'm usually so critical of. And I am critical of with him, but... It's just, it's the music, man. (laughs) It's just so good. It does it for me. It still does it for me now. Um, They remain uh, one of my fave bands. Um, Craig Fitzpatrick from Rival Podcast, No Encore, and I um, are big, big fans um, of the band. And we tend to get shouted down when we talk about them if we're ever out (laughs) for (laughs) drinks with other kind of music heads. So, yeah, we have to deal with that.
2: Fair enough. I mean, look, if you like a band, you like a band and and you shouldn't have to defend yourself too much. Um, I did make my first appearance on on the No Encore podcast last week. Um, Oh, you
3: did? Yeah. Yeah. You sounded great. uh, Yes.
2: (laughs) I sounded locked.
3: You sounded like like you you were enjoying yourself.
2: (laughs) I was. Yeah. I I slightly regretted it.
3: Um, I think you made some very interesting points. In fairness
2: to the guys, they sent me a, a link to the audio before it went up and I was like, I can stand by everything I was saying. I did sound like I was slurred a bit.
3: (laughs) I I think you were fine.
2: I was, yeah, it was fine. Uh, But there you go. Yeah, (laughs) I was on it for the first time. And uh, yeah. I
3: have to say it was really weird hearing you and Dave at the same time. I was like, oh, this is the middle of a strange Venn diagram.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I don't even remember the smell of talcum powder at all (laughs) happening, but I remember it at the time. And then it was like, it's in the interview and you're like. (laughs) <laughs> when where were we exactly? <laughs> <laughs> were you know, in like a like a locker room? Where the fuck? Maybe. No, we were at the side of Vicker Street, um where the merch was. Oh. For some right, reason yeah. there was a very strong smell of talking powder. There you go. Who knows why? Insider <laughs>
3: knowledge. There you go. <laughs>
2: I did forget to tell you earlier on. I went to see Anderson Pack um last night. Oh, how was that? Yeah, it was great actually. Um, only brought him up because I was thinking about putting him in songs of the week because he had a new track out last week uh, oh, called King James. It. Um, so he has a new album coming out in a month. Um, with um his band, the Free Nationals, who mm. were also there last night. He's great. Um, he's such a great showman. And one thing about it, like, I've been struggling with this cold for last week. And my ears are maybe not what they should be. Mm. And myself and my wife went actually, but we were we were okay. Look, we were in a box, we were in a box, we got a box first.
4: Bo- yeah, whatever. But
2: there was this, this, the sound in it was so terrible that like it was so loud. There was some weird, it was like you were getting the onstage was it sound. The Olympia? Yeah, the Olympia. Uh, it's like you're getting some weird onstage uh, bass rumbles the whole time. So it's just like the whole. Every, everything was coated in this like massive bass, right? And it wasn't just me because Aoife had it as well. She said the same thing. Um, but I really enjoyed it. He was great. I still don't really like Oxnard as much as his other album. Me neither. Um, but he's such a showman and great. He plays the drums an awful lot, which is mm. great because he's such a good player. But like he was, it was his drum playing is so loud that I could hear it, him the hit the drums being hit from oh, where sure. I was. Uh, Not over the PA, but just as it was. Uh, He was brilliant. Was Uh, it mostly
3: stuff from the new album? It was a
2: mix. He did some of the older stuff like The Waters and Heart Don't Set a Chance. And then uh, Am I Wrong, one of my favorite songs the last five years. Uh, He finished with a a Mac Miller song, uh, the one that he featured on Dang Mm -hmm. um, as a tribute to Mac Miller, which is actually, I hadn't really listened to it since Mac Miller died. And I kind of didn't realize how close it was to you know talking about mac miller's situation but uh it was a really really great show he's playing again tonight um but he, he uh yeah he's fantastic i i just hope the uh, the new album lives up more than Oxnard. i really have not gone back to that at all no and, but look a uh, lot of people Wasn't there seem to love it not for me personally but yeah. um i really enjoyed Pack. i kind of wish i'd seen him three years ago when i was in the depths of loving Malibu so much mm. and then I would have been like yes I love this I see <laughs> so much uh, but and I really did, did really enjoy it did really enjoy it for sure uh, anyway as I propose nothing, that was Anderson back uh, I'm going to move <laughs> on to Limerick um, to a, a new act uh, called Pow Pig who had a, two new songs on a split with Junior Brother this is one of theirs it's called Mayday So big from Limerick uh, on a new release that's out on uh, a double uh, label release, actually, Uh, out on a limb from Limerick are back uh, releasing music. They released Windings and Give a Man a Kick and Rest and bands like that back in the day. This is a split release with the uh, Galway um, label and record um, from Googie. Which is strange brew. So mm. cool. Galway and Limerick combining on this. It's a, quadruple,
3: uh, a side, <laughs> <I read. laughs>
2: quadruple A side. I read. Yeah, quadruple A side. Okay. I like that. I don't know if you can get about that. Yeah. Still, um, I love I love the band Pow Pig for what they are doing and everything they represent. Um, they're all still doing their leaving cert. Yeah,
3: it's crazy. So they're
2: all like seventeen ish. Yeah. And they're still Somehow managing to do loads of gigs with the permission of their parents. Yeah. And uh yeah, they were on other voices a few weeks ago and um I just really like their vibe, you know. I really like, like they're them just too. like young four young girls who are just doing it for themselves and doing really cool stuff and it like it harks back to a lot of the like indie from the early nineties that I kind of loved as well. But they seem to have their own thing going on.
3: They do, yeah. They're really a really cool and interesting band and they have this sort of aloofness that in, in a good way that comes across in their music with the kind of hazy vibes. And but I think their musicianship and their songwriting, it's like they're kind of wise beyond their years, but but then I'm like, I don't know if that's problematic because you know, young girls can be great at music. Um, but no,
2: but I think you were right in saying they have some a level of confidence that is they do. Uh, w- un- unusual for
3: for their age, and they have
2: a kind of a they've defined their sound even though it is quite ramshackle and yeah. you know, they have a lot going on that you can recognize as pel- yeah, and
3: there's there's a confidence in in standing behind that ramshackle kind of sound, um, and that kind of this is who we are this is what we're doing they have a definite style they've like even aesthetically their music videos they're very kind of homemade and like they're like wearing masks and they're just really really cool i feel like if i was in school with them i'd be like damn those girls are cool um but they are they're a really really interesting band i'm so excited for them to have more time to spend uh hopefully writing an album and releasing a lot of music um and i can't wait to catch them live at some stage i know they did announce a gig um recently
2: yeah they're actually doing a tour with junior brother who released mm-hmm. two of the other songs he's a carry um singer songwriter who makes very strange, odd ball- folk music I yeah. guess um, it's very odd it's I, I'm i not even 100% sure what I think of it to be honest
3: yeah I, uh, I, I like but the, I haven't seen I like the, the two yet, songs Parpeter. that are on the quadruple A side yeah um but I will definitely be hitting up one of those gigs because yeah. So
2: they are the Roisin Dove Galway on the seventeenth of April, Grand Social Dublin as part of Music Town. That's eighteenth of April, and then the nineteenth of April in the Caspa Social Club in Dolans yeah. and Limerick.
3: So. I feel like you're not going to catch these guys for a tenor again.
4: Yeah, so I'm really, i really, I you really
2: know. haven't seen them properly yet. I only heard them from a, a, like the whisper of them on the wind, basically mm. at Body and Soul last yeah. year because I was doing something at the same time they were on at one of the stages, and I remember hearing their song Concerned, and I was like, yeah. The one with yeah. that song, yeah, they're um, great, but I couldn't actually physically go see them. But uh, it's great, yeah, it's really nice, and it's nice to see some um old label teaming up with some new label in Ireland. We don't have a lot of uh active labels in general at sure. the moment, and uh, so out in Limb, good to see them back uh releasing music again, especially with there's so much going on in Limerick as well. We have a uh Uh, a God Knows track on the uh, 12-inch release that we're doing as part of Music Town that's a plug for our Music Town gig (laughs) Um, so we're doing an all-ages gig called Dublin and Sound um, so God Knows is playing it Tebby Rex Pillow Queens and uh, Squarehead and I got the Masters or the Test Pressings back for the 12-inch and they sound really good so Really happy and delighted that that's kind of come out as well. And then if you buy a ticket for the gig, you get a, a free oil, so it's yeah. kind of nice. Anyway, that's my plugging um, for right now. Over for now. Yeah, for now. <laughs> maybe maybe I'll plug something else later on. You never know. So sure. uh, we move on to our last track of the week. It is from Wise Blood. A song is called Movies, and
4: this is what it sounds like.
2: Wise Brothers is an, is an artist that I'm familiar with in that I know I've heard some of her music. Her name is Natalie Merring. I know a lot about her, but I don't know a lot about her music personally, really. I don't think I, I can name another track. Mm. Um, she's releasing her fourth album on Sub Pop in for the forthcoming weeks um, in April, I think. And uh, yeah, so April 5th is it's her third album, sorry. Titanic Rising, it's what it's called. You picked this track for Tracks of the Week. Why did you pick it?
3: I did. I came across it on a playlist. at. Uh, this week and I I'm not at all familiar with her and I just thought it was so arresting and then I was listening to it today like after I saw the new promo for Stranger Things and I just got it it all just sort of clicked in my head like so the the song obviously has this like you know sci-fi synth running underneath it and this really um sort of over the top big grand, um, like, I I don't know if it's a key change, but she kind of lands on it halfway through and then it switches up. And yeah, I I just thought it was really cool. She's sort of singing about how movies and media kind of form us and, you know, look, look, looking into that and seeing whether or not it's a good thing that we kind of define ourselves like this gen- generation that we are now having every film ever made at our fingertips and how how that's kind of formed us as a generation. I thought it was a really interesting topic for a song and the way she goes about it musically was also really interesting, really cinematic and Yeah, it broad. reminded me
2: of Julie Halter's last album a little yeah, bit. Actually, song, yeah, actually, um,
3: yeah.
2: Very much so. And the, the video for it does seem to echo that sentiment. It seems to be inspired by the movie Titanic and yeah. some... Mirror action in there as well, and all shot underwater. So that's Wise Blood. Don't think she's announced to play a gig in Ireland anytime soon, but she is playing around UK and Europe in April and May, so you can check that out if you're mm-hmm. anywhere but here. Um, that is Wise Blood, and we'll move on to our album of the week. We had a lot of contenders for our album of the week. Well, not a lot, it wasn't. it wasn't a hugely busy week. Mm. But the, what we settled on this week maybe surprised us, Something and might surprise you. a bit different. Yeah, it's definitely a bit different. Before I say who it is, let's just play a bit of it, and just keep the suspense going for a bit longer. Sure. from our album of the week which is a Japanese four piece called Chai and their album is called Punk and that is the third track on it I believe. Um, So Dre why did we pick this band to talk about this week?
3: I think we we picked it so you you sent me this album and I listened to it because I've been listening to kind of other albums that were released this week that were good but didn't really grab me but Personally I feel like this is the music that I need to listen to right now. <laughs> it's just it's it's cool, it's upbeat and it's sweet, but it's also, you know, tearing down the kind of kawaii aesthetics and it's it is punk, you know? It's punk in its latest iteration and in its kind of Japanese iteration. At the moment, and I just couldn't deal with anything too um, <laughs> too grim this week. I think yes, yeah, so we've been talking something... about a
2: lot of grim topics recently. Yeah, so I just let's maybe... like a
3: breath of fresh air this week, and this is exactly what.
2: Okay, this so let's contextualise what that means. The kawaii uh, idea,
3: sure.
2: Um, it's a the kind of the cute and bright feminine characteristics that permeate Japanese culture. The idea that uh, girls are always these like happy, bright, you know. Um, people and i think to a lot of us this music when you first hear it you're like oh my god this is actually it's almost repulsively bright even yeah. still yeah um but there's a lot of things going on that maybe subvert the expectations and and uh standards and styles of, of japanese music in this now yeah. they're signed to heavenly recordings in the uk they are a band that um This is not their first album, it's their second album. They've been active since 2012, but really much more seriously in the last couple of years. Um, They are kind of digging beneath the veneer of what's going on and what people expect of them. Certainly in Japan as well, where it can feel a lot more straight-laced. And there's kind of this weird subversion, which is really interesting going on in terms of like... You heard that song there. The They sing in English and Japanese kind of interchangeably. yeah. And some of their English lyrics are kind of English in, yeah. in lots of ways. And they're very simple, but beneath and all, there's like references to body hair and weight and self-affirmation and beauty standards and all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of what that song is really about, even though I don't really understand what the Japanese lines are. But you can read on Genius, for example, mm. some of the very uh, plain spoken uh, words on it but i found myself listening to this over the weekend and kind of going, this is class and also very different and it feels very f- new to me to have like we talked about the internet and the power that the internet can give you and opening up different cultures and kind of stuff like that and i really felt like i was getting an insight into something that i was never i'd never got before mm-hmm. in in this context when i listened to this band cuz you're here's a band who are trying to subvert a, a very specific idea in their co- own culture, mm. but they're also doing it by, they cite Devo and Beastie Boys and Basement Jacks and ABBA as one of their influences. Um, and they're on a UK label called Heavenly and they played South by Southwest last week and they were one of the biggest, most talked about artists at it. Mm. Because they are doing something different, because they are subverting the norm, it's exciting in a way. It's like it, there's a lot of, a kind of similarities, they actually supported the band Super Organism here last year, And know I didn't see them but Ruth here, uh, who writes for 909 did and said they were great crack and they do actually sing Dancing Queen live as well yeah.
3: <laughs> I mean, I'm into it Yeah, uh,
2: and that's what I really liked about it, I just like the fact that you know you're listening to something that is very different and takes a while to get used to, mm. but it's really like, you, I find I kind of felt like I was learning something from listening to this
3: Yeah, I did too, I think it's it put me in mind of the kind of what what riot girl did for for third wave feminism in in the west it's kind of it's taking the the reductiveness of like j-pops kawaii aesthetic where everybody is like dressed the same everybody moves the same it's all very uniform and it's completely subverting that, but it's not doing it in a way where it's, you know, we're girls that play guitar or we're girls that play rock music. It's taking the kind of the sweetness of that music and it's turning it up to the point where you feel like you've eaten too much sugar and you feel sick and that's punk, you know, that's cool. It's, it's that kind of, um, too much of a good thing pointing out that it's, it's maybe not a good thing. Do you know? And yeah, it's totally over the top. It's it's a mile a minute and they they call it neo kawaii. So they're trying to redefine what what it is to be cute. And I think that, that that has parallels with kind of what what's happening or what has been happening in the US and the UK where like may, maybe our parallel to kawaii is like what what is and isn't sexy. Like even you you look you look at someone like Lizzo and it's like she's the the second plus size woman to appear in, in Playboy, we, we are redefining what sexy is. And in, in, in much the same way, this kind of Neo Kawaii thing is try, is trying to tear down the unrealistic expectations that J-pop kind of has on a lot of, a lot of its female and male, but mostly female artists and, Say that no, this is also cute, and cute isn't something that you can, you know, package and sell. It's a, it's an inner thing. It's yeah, and it's it's just great. It's
2: I think it's, the kicker for me was watching their music videos and yeah. kind of going, ah, oh, they make really good videos as well. So they, do. they know what they're doing. It's that kind of like the kind of bands you want to make great music videos, you Definitely. know, like, I think it seems to be the right time as well for something like this. There's a lot of, we talked about Grimes earlier on who talks about, you know, K-pop and J-pop a lot and references it. And then for example, there's so much like K-pop music, like Blackpink and BTS mm. who are, you know, there's a lot of young kids who are into that kind of music now. Yeah. And it's become like, it's the next
3: Oh, it's a phenomenon, wave, you know,
2: like, but like in a Western context, yeah, as well, it's already huge over complete, there. Obviously. Oh,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it always has been. But for for the West to kind of embrace it in the way that it has there, there is, you know, there's problems with that because it's a heavily packaged like J- J-pop is a heavily packaged and marketed affair. So it's 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 great to also have artists that cross over that are challenging that and saying no not everybody in Japan likes this kind of music not everybody in Japan makes this kind of music and not everyone in Japan looks like this um and I hope that yeah I I I hope that they that they really do kind of break through with this with with punk fans especially because I think what they're doing is punk um it just mightn't sound like the Sex Pistols but it's it's tearing down expectations. It's destroying norms, and it's doing it in a way that is palatable and tongue-in-cheek and over the top.
2: Yeah, I'm sure there are some people who would say that that idea that this is punk is just like probably upsetting to them. Yeah, <laughs> but I. But I, I mean, think well, like but when but when
3: you think about what punk is, it's it's something that that challenges whatever the kind of mainstream expectation of you as a as a person is and it subverts it and it turns it into an um, something that's empowering and for them to kind of take the take what it is that j-pop is kind of known for and sometimes criticized for that kind of sugar sweetness and homogeneity and to turn that on its head and kind of, like, like I said, tur- turn it up to the point of kind of sickening sweetness <laughs> is is super punk. I will, I will defend that. That's a hill I'll die on. <laughs> oh yeah, no,
2: I, I don't disagree with you. I, what I was going to say was that I felt that they are, yeah, they're doing it in the sensibility way as opposed to the musical yeah. way. Um, and yeah, like, like, I a- mean...
3: I don't know, like B- Bikini Kill weren't the first band to make punk music, but th- through their aesthetic and their style and their like, we are girls that play guitar, but we also wear pigtails and we're also women. Like yeah. it's not, we're, we're not playing like the boys. We're playing like girls kind of thing. Um, Chai kind of really made me think that they're doing much the same thing or a similar thing to what Bikini Hill were doing at the beginning of like the Riot Girl movement. Um, and I, I don't know much about punk in Japan. Maybe it's a completely different thing, but this seems like a really kind of palatable crossover and an interesting talking point when people, especially white people talk about J-pop and Yeah. But it so, sometimes also, those com- conversations can be kind of problematic. So.
2: Musically, it it is it does fit in with that kind of thing, you know. Like it, it can very easily fit. There's a few. There's a good few acts like Super Organism or Kero Kero Bonito who have those kind of um, bright Japanese aesthetic thing going on. And but here's a band who are from Japan and are really doing that and representing that from from the place as opposed to like taking and we talk a lot about appropriation and all kind of stuff but this isn't appropriation if anything the only thing that they're doing is subverting that idea they're bringing in kind of more western influences into their music and there's a lot of like obviously it does take a while to get used to this album even like mm. when you're listening to it, you're like "Whoa!" Do you think so? well not, not no it's just, it's just so jarringly different and so mm. hyperactive and uh, like it, it is like listening to a video game soundtrack almost sure. in that way like that a dance it's like revolution. Yeah, yeah yeah dance dance yeah exactly like that kind of it's got electronic stuff it's got pop it's got like yeah. there's things whizzing in and out and then there's like big, huge moments and there's like it's very uh, it is bright to your ears when yep. you first listen to it, but uh, you know I like those subversive parts of it where you kind of you you can hear them talking about their weight and stuff like that, and you are like, yeah. oh, there is something else going on here,
3: definitely. Uh, and I and I do think that their use of the English language in it is interesting because you know they're they're singing a lot of their English lyrics in in broken English, and I. I I think that that's interesting because I think it's probably kind of making fun of what Western expectations of how Japanese people speak English are, um, and they're like, oh well, you know, we'll we'll sing in broken English because they'll understand us better as as Japanese people. Then, do you know? Yeah, it's it's that kind of tongue in cheek. Like I'm going to do this because this is the only way that. White people are going to understand me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, which which I think is really interesting, and they're just really really cool. Yeah, cool it's a
2: girl. Like, th- fun. I think the reason we picked this this week is because music can be super serious sometimes, and it shouldn't always be. And mm. obviously, you know, music is fun first and foremost, yeah. but it can also have a message in that uh, bright, like popularity and chive for me represent that, and they have something to say in in the way that they. Do it and their unique way of saying it. And also, basically, it's just like a lot of fun and a lot of different mm. kind of buzz going on. And I really enjoy it. And it's just nice, like I said, to feel like you're learning something about the world totally. by listening to an album. Yeah. So it's cool. Uh, let's play a bit from uh, Choose Go. This is, I think, the opening track from the album Punk from the Child. That is Chai. Album is called Punk. That is our our album of the week for this week on the Nine or Nine Podcast. And now for something completely different, to some Japanese subversive pop, we are going to Ireland and America for the supergroup The Gloaming. You will know them as Martin Hayes, Dennis Cahill, vocalist Irla Leonard, Quivena Rahala. I'm subverting in their own way, uh, trad music and bringing it into new forms. They have won much acclaim and we are big fans of their music for what it's done. It has changed in a way, changed the face of trad for me and a lot of people. They brought some contemporary influences to the music with, by bringing in Thomas Bartlett as a producer and a pianist. And um, they are bringing a different sensibility to the music of trad and to traditional arrangements. They just released their third album and, um, It is their third in five years. And one of the things that they've done since their entire existence is played every, nearly every year, perhaps, um, in the National Concert Hall doing residencies. So last week they did a seven day residency, seven nights in eight days. They took one night off um, and they played uh, seven nights in. I was actually there on the Monday night, the very first one. Yeah. Which the president, Michael D, was there. Oh, was he? He was, yes. Where did he sit? Oh, he you know, has a special chair up at the top.
3: Oh, does he? Up yeah, the back?
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. And they announce him and they come in oh. and then you, uh, Ron Levine comes on, everyone has to stand up. Oh, yeah. my God. Um, so the Gloaming are one of those bands that like myself and my dad will go see together. Yeah. Like I, we've both, we've seen him twice now in the National Concert Hall.
3: When I was there, I, I went on the Saturday and it was a lot of families. Um, my my boyfriend came to pick me up from it actually, and he he didn't know what gig I was at, and he was like, "What was this?" And I said the gloaming, and he was like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense." Because to look around at the crowd, you you couldn't tell like it was just such a mix of ages yeah. and people, and which is really cool. A lot of families. Yeah, they
2: were bands that seemed to go across different generations, and a lot of, have a lot of fans in different um, places and ages. And
3: I was beside a, a or near a very well behaved baby. Oh yeah, so. She did great
2: (laughs) Well Luke Sharkey went to talk to Irla O'Leonard and Kweeveen O'Rahla On the Monday Afternoon just before their last Show in the National Concert Hall And so here's Luke Chatting to the gloaming The alien
6: Hvor
4: heeft du vil
7: We are joined by Irla and Quivin of The Gloaming. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very, very welcome. welcome, Luke. Very Delighted.
5: Welcome,
4: Luke.
7: Um, and I appreciate you guys taking the time. This is the last night of your seven-night residency here. It is
5: indeed, yeah. It's hard to believe seven nights here. It's It's been wonderful. I mean, it's, a, it's such an extraordinary venue. And I remember coming here as a kid and just being in awe of the place. And, yeah. uh, and you know, it's, it's a real... We kind of tend to forget it, I guess, because, you know, we've played so many shows here now, but it really is a prestigious stage. Like I feel, you know, the National Concert Hall stage, there's something very special about it. There's there's certainly a heritage about the place, for sure. There is, isn't there? And you walk out on stage and so many people have walked out on that stage in the past. And yeah, there's such a sense of occasion for us, I think.
6: There is, yeah. Absolutely.
7: But I would jump in here and say from an outsider's perspective, there's probably not a name more synonymous with the sort of prestige and heritage of the National Concert Hall than the gloaming. Um, I think before you started this residency, was it 24 consecutively sold-out shows? That's
5: <laughs> mad, isn't it? Um,
6: to be honest, we, we I don't want to use the phrase because it sounds arrogant, but we haven't been counting. <laughs> uh, uh, so therefore, we don't know. But I'm sure you don't know. I don't know. But it, But it is... It is it is consequential, and it's it's strange even for me too, no no more than Crevein, mm. to be on the national stage so often and in such a beautiful context, you know.
5: But we really we really love this hall, you know. And I suppose seven nights here, you could do one night somewhere bigger, three nights somewhere bigger, but we actually. We feel so strongly about this room, this space, you know. What is it about it that keeps drawing you back here as... Well, it might seem crazy to say this, but it actually feels quite intimate as a venue. You really feel connected to the people because they're... First of all, you can see them in the the front few rows, but you're also surrounded by them. There's people up on the balcony and at the sides. And it really feels like you're kind of... uh, not in a big venue and and for me that's something very important I uh, something happens on a bigger stage where there's more of a disconnect between the stage and the audience yeah. and like just for me how I feel in a gig I much prefer being kind of uh, feeling like I can see the audience and feel their presence you know so
6: I mean, maybe like that for the audience too you know yeah. I mean it has to be in a way like I mean we've all gone to gigs in, in the O2 and, or whatever it's called these days and uh, the board gosh, and you know you're further away, and yeah, you, unless you're lucky, <laughs> <laughs> you you're. I think the audience do feel close to us in in the NCH and are able to kind of touch the music in a in a in a more um more beneficial way to the music.
5: And I also think that myself, yourself, and and Martin certainly, from our background, we actually are a little uncomfortable on a big stage. We're are uncomfortable with the idea of a kind of an us and them and a performance. We kind of thrive on a, a little more intimacy. Certainly, that's how I would feel. Like I, my favorite gigs, oftentimes are for you know twenty people or forty yeah. people, and it's that kind of real immediacy that yeah. I I thrive on. Like for
6: example, when we did Union Chapel, always fantastic place to play. And then one year we we booked the train and we did we did the Barbican itself, and it was just I just didn't get a. Didn't feel any feedback for myself. I wasn't able to measure it yeah. in the way I can in Union Chapel, or a place whose embrace you understand. And this room is very
7: like that too. And is the metric the sort of look on the audience's face that you can see? Well, you can see them
6: first of all, but you can feel and it. You as can as feel a, them yeah. more. They're, yeah. if, the, if the room is too big, you do, as Crevean says, you do find that the lighting and everything that equation changes. So you become you become lit in a darkened room. Yeah, and you become Find it sort of far away yeah. from the people and it's a funny feeling it, I, don't, I think Creevian is right maybe, maybe our our folk background is, is more more suited to the notion of a, a, a more human
5: proximity yeah and like I would find I'd often go out here into the lobby before a show and i just walk around and yeah. uh, it really helps me kind of connect with if I see one person I know or two people I know to see a face to know I'm playing for you now, yeah. b- rather than playing to an abstract darkness, I find that re- I really struggle with that playing to uh, an audience. You can't see that you haven't met some of the people you've got like you've got no tangible person that you're trying to communicate with. And music is about communication. So put a face on people, be able to see them communicate with them. And, you know, that's that's our own background as folk musicians. Yes, that it is kind of music of the people, even though we've kind of probably, you know, gone wherever we've gone and are no longer of that world in our for own sure. little way. But um, I think that that meaning of music being to connect with people kind of feeds into that for us. It's a really all yeah. that matters to us.
7: And are these yeah. the sort of little things that as a group keep live performance, especially in a place like the National Concert Hall, where you've already sold out seven nights in advance, that they keep it fresh, keep it dynamic between yourselves, that it doesn't feel like you're doing like a repetition?
5: I don't know. I think it's more an individual thing and I don't actually know what the other guys feel about that. That's certainly how I feel. Uh, I have other things that I do to keep it fresh and one of the things I do is improvise and I've carved out a role for myself in this band that is a little freer than um, you know, I'm not, I don't really have certain notes I have to play at certain times. I feel like other people are drawing the lines some people are colouring in the lines and then I'm just splattering a load of like ink on the page that's a really lovely role for me and kind of that's what I need. That sounds beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Thomas, I've got a great conversation across the stage with him, uh, reacting to him, him reacting to me, um, us reacting to the songs, to what Irla's singing. So that kind of keeps it fresh for me, I would say. yeah.
6: What keeps it fresh for me? I don't know. New material keeps it fresh for me. And this year I'm singing practically all new material.
7: And I suppose that's a, the perfect segue on to talking about the new album. Um, yes. Congratulations. It's Thank you. a beautiful, superb body of music. Mm. But I suppose I would like to start off this little topic by asking what the significance to you guys of a self-titled album is.
6: Oh, self-titled album? Yeah. Like calling The Gloaming Three? The Gloaming
7: One, The Gloaming Two, The Gloaming Three.
6: Zero significance to yeah. me anyway. It's yeah. just that we couldn't come up with a name. <laughs> and we stuck to the formula. Yeah. But in a sense, I mean... I don't have a problematic kind of position on it. What do you think? I
5: think that there was an opportunity on the second album to come up to with a title. something, yeah. But when you call that the gloaming two, it's very hard then to call the yeah. subsequent yeah. <laughs> one anything other than three. You've come up with a... Uh, kind of you set the, the way things are going to be. Um, and I guess, you know, the cover art ties into that as well. The same artist being used. So rather than each album being a total reimagining, they're very much a continuation of what went before, I guess. And
7: I suppose sonically, this album, I think it particularly, departs from a lot of the stuff you guys have done in the past. It's probably deeper into the realms of more contemporary classical music than anything you guys have done before. Um, and I've read an interview, that so you said you wanted to do something slightly different this time around. So how did you take that mindset into the writing and recording process?
5: Well, I would say uh, primarily Irla's work um, with Thomas. So Irla uh, was over in the states and created some really extraordinary songs and brought them to thomas and they had that work done and and to me that's where the exciting thing the exciting development is in this album along with kind of some of the production techniques that thomas used to add some elements we haven't had before uh, some layering of sounds rather than being a photograph of five people in a room yeah. it's kind of a little more interesting in terms of uh, what elements are used in in the production: precisely, I mean, the other
6: recordings were ensemble recordings, yeah. with, with, with various degrees of production, but even record two was largely an ensemble recording, uh, with minimal, m- very, very minimal um, cut and paste or layering or post sort of production activity. This one was radically different in the sense that the song the architecture of the songs were all built. Um, months in advance of an ensemble presence in the studio, and then also there was the agreement, the tacit agreement with with, with the producer that he would be allowed and encouraged to use various forms of discrete synthesis uh, uh, as part of the sonic palette. Okay. And um, he was uh, he was he was gleeful at the prospect. I remember because he I think he probably felt that he had. He wasn't that enthusiastic about doing just another uh, ensemble recording. Okay. Because we sort of, you can do it, of course, you know. But
5: nor were we in Paris. We weren't either. Like,
6: <laughs> well, I mean, certainly I remember d- encouraging him very, very heavy-handedly, yeah, perhaps yeah, me too, to do the other, yeah. to to roll up his sleeves and to unleash his uh, studio um, nous on the making of this of this record, and I think that's what he embraced.
7: Is, is, do you think that's a mark of how far the creative progression is for the band? That Maybe that's not something you would have approached with the first album, but now you're all so, there's such a, I hate to use the word, but synergy between you all?
5: I, I'm not sure. I think uh, it it's certainly something I think the two of us would have been quite keen to have in there from the start. We would, would have done it anyway on
6: all of, all of our records. Yeah. Yeah. I never made a record like a glowing record before. Like I never made a record that was an ensemble recording. In fact the first two records were quite retro uh, i felt they were very retro in terms of my discography okay in terms of process yeah uh, and in some ways outcome uh, but certainly in terms of process so in a sense the making of gloaming three was more in line with w- what i would call my practice yeah. and what Creveen would call his in terms of you know recording ruminating fashioning refashioning coming back at it again um developing uh work using the studio as as a creative matrix you know and not just trying to capture things it's a very different um i mean it hardly it's hardly worth saying really because most people adopt the latter strategy it's just that we didn't as a band we were very retro in our in our first two records and kind of imagining maybe audaciously that you could make an ensemble set of recordings that would be effective and, and they were. But they have limits. And you need you need then to use the studio more fully, I think, if you're going to move forward.
7: And, and that was very much the idea from day one of recording the gloaming Three.
6: Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Because it's not like we it's not that you hit a brick wall, it's just that you can't really you cannot progress beyond a certain level with real time recording. You just you just can't. You you reach a brick wall of time and energy. It can't be done.
5: Yeah, and also it felt very important that there'd be so, there'd be some kind of evolution. Yeah. In the records.
6: And also, there's another point, yeah. if I may say this, and it's, again, it's pretty obvious, but it probably is worth stating nonetheless. the The ensemble recordings, the first two, are very. They're they're sort of idiomatically in the folk world. Yes. Like, which is which really is their is part of their consequence. They're beautiful in that sense. They're a redrawing of folk methodology and a folk acoustic. But the third record um, elevates the sound into the area where there might be the notion of a composer present. For a certainty, But yeah. instead of paper, you're using the framework of the multi-track environment to situate the composer's eye, if you like, where you can come back again and again and layer and change foreground yeah not having to just do it on the mixing you do it in the composition process yeah and it gives you a lot more range when you when you're not depending on the mix to save the day you know
7: for certainty suppose I'd I'd jump into a question that I've been um, waiting to ask you actually for years um, and I hope you might answer for me what is for you the process of selecting and then curating a poem for a song
6: well, um, it can vary. Um, there are some poems like, well, happenstance is a large part of it. I think, you know, my, my general reading, like anybody else, you could be reading things but and you find something you like and that's surely a part of it. And in fact, this record has something to do with that. But then there's a sort of a strange process as well, a kind of a self-curating convergent process that starts to happen to me four or five months out of actually finding myself in the studio just my life seems to converge texts into the moment and it was very clear to me that was happening on this record um you know um Lemo for example the two of his two of the songs are fashioned from his poetry. he passed away in May Quivine uh, and I had worked with him before and so he, we were close to him and knew him and he was a friend um but then also there were just these interesting historical happenings like... My mom sent me a poem that Liam sent to her before he died. I sent it to Creveen while he was walking the Camino. The poem was about walking on the Camino. I felt immediately duty-bound to try and do something with it. I looked at it, of course it wasn't singing to me, do you know what I mean? It was just a blank page, it was absolutely silent. It was yeah. like looking at me, sing me, or don't bother. It wasn't telling me anything. But eventually it did tell me things. And um, so that's how that one happened. And Mahan Razi was in my pocket in the, in the studio in Manhattan. And I was working with Thomas. One of the days I was in, I used to go in twice a week, maybe for five or six weeks. And it was just kind of burning a hole in my pocket. I'd never once thought about doing it. And I just, I just, I don't know. There, there was a part of me, and I haven't said this to anyone before, but there was a part of me more ambitious than I, than I imagined I was. <laughs> there was a part of me behind me saying, go on, you can do it. Say it <laughs> to him. Don't be afraid. Say it to him. And then eventually, I said, "I've got this poem. I really think we should try and do it, but I don't know how to do it." <laughs> so I blurted it out. So, like, there was some part of me pushing me to say that. It wasn't the part you're hearing now. It okay. was somebody else. I don't know who it was, but I've been saying to people in interviews that it's sort of the Keatsian idea of, of um, sort of um, negative capability, where poems want to write themselves. Yeah, and I believe in that to some extent, but it does depend on on. A kind of a convergent process that takes place over a n- number of months or weeks, or maybe even years, depending on the piece. So that best explains how I choose them. Row the song Roe, we had been singing that last year, um, which I had chosen um, soon after the the passing of my my sister breed. Uh, we which was in February. And then the following March, we were performing here, in the concert hall, and I'm, I'm I hope I didn't make a big deal of it, but I was feeling I was really in the midst of grief at the time, yeah. And we 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 did that song in in the concert hall, and so that really seemed to have something. And when we came back in the fall to make the record, Thomas wanted to, to attack that one straight away, and we did, and it, it it was easy to do. And similarly with the um the seventeenth century song. Uh, my lady who finds the tomb unattended. We had attacked that the year before as well, and perhaps they, they both drew from the same emotional area. Yeah, for me. that's. I'm terribly sorry for the long-winded answer.
7: <laughs> no, that that was fantastic. That was fantastic. was really insightful. That was. Um,
6: you don't always get to write songs that have anything to do with what's happening in your life, you know apart from maybe whimsical things you're interested in. This was probably the first time where I was really able to stay inside a zone, a kind of a grieving zone, and work things out through the songs. And I I actually found it very um, helpful to me. Cathartic? Yeah, to use that word. Uh, I'm glad you used it, not me. (laughs) But it was cathartic. I I, um, I do believe music can, can, can show you the way sometimes, you know. For sure even even when you don't think it will. Magen en til vur, magen sager, magen bråhne, magen ol, magen stårre, magen de grin, magen en vinne og hugne <laughs> kasselu,
4: magen en til de chredi.
2: Thanks to Irla and Cuyveen and Luke for the interview on the 909 podcast. That was the gloaming and yet another successful run of dates in Ireland's um, national concert hall wow. <laughs> as attended by the president. When you have a president as your fan, you know, uh, uh, you know you're doing something right. He's good a good day. man. Our Miggily. Oh, we love <laughs> you,
4: Get him on the pod. <laughs>
2: someday, someday <laughs> we get him in. So that's about it from us this week. Uh, I will finish by asking you the customary question. What have you been reading and listening and watching this week?
3: Um, so I I read Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. Oh yes, we did. Um, and I really, really liked it. I thought it was really interesting. Um, I had already read Normal People, so I did it in kind of the the wrong order. But yeah, I thought it was a, a very, very well written book. Um I didn't I disliked most if not all of the characters but you know that was fine I think you're sort of supposed to and you're sort of supposed to dislike them because you see a bit of yourself in them um so that for me made it an, an A1 book um you've read it haven't you
2: I have yeah I read it on holidays so I really yeah. enjoyed it yeah, yeah. And like I said I really felt like those characters were real people and totally doesn't just because you didn't uh, chime with t- your own character, or you felt like there was horrible parts in it, doesn't mean yeah. it wasn't gripping in that way. Like totally, yeah. That I part of it, I love. You're just like, oh no, I can see like somebody I know or somebody my, my uh, myself in the past saying something like that. Oh
3: yeah, like I, I think she she hit the nail on the head with the kind of how how college students kind of talk with each other, where you're talking about inane stuff one minute and then you're throwing in like stuff about Marx the next minute and I was reading it just going oh this was me when I was in college I must have been insufferable but um did you have
2: those lists those books listed on your MySpace page oh
3: you don't even want to know my books listed <laughs> on my MySpace page <laughs> yeah just like the communist manifesto <laughs> um but yeah fantastic book really really good I do recommend that you read Normal People because no, you haven't read that yet um and I think you'll like it a lot um I, I have been watching What I've been watching I'm not going near Any documentaries To be honest I'm not I, I'm interested At some stage In watching the Madeline McCann one But I just I think It's uh, eight
2: parts It's a lot yeah. to take in Eight hours
3: Yeah So I'm I'm just giving myself a little break after leaving Neverland and I started re-watching New Girl, (laughs) which is a lot of fun. (laughs) You've
2: really gone the other way. I've
3: just gone, you know, I'm listening to Chai, I'm watching Zoe Deschanel, it's it's all very kawaii. (laughs)
2: I've been yeah. watching the new season of Alan Partridge. Um, most notable this week because he he signed come out your black and tans oh, so in character.
3: So I've only seen the clip of it. I haven't watched any of them yet because I don't know when it's on. What it's
2: time. on Monday nights at about half nine, I think, on uh, BBC. BBC One. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's been hit or miss so far, but his uh, okay. the field reporting and the like the yeah that stuff has been just fantastic
3: and tim key is on it isn't he
2: yeah he uh, underutilized probably (laughs) i'd say he's he's i love he's the social media guy in it oh of uh, course yeah yeah yeah. yeah. Uh, it's great though it's so cringy and it's so but it's so we're, we're watching at the same time if you're a fan of partridge and you know to see somebody singing um (laughs) <laughs> black and tans on BBC it's not something you see
3: every day it, it was absolutely amazing and we, we were chatting about it before we were recording and saying that like to to be able to uh, obviously um Stevie coogan has like big uh relationship with ireland he knows ireland well and you kind of have to to make that funny but I do think that it was, it worked because the joke was on the side of the Irish and we were kind of like, we were looking at ourselves in it and making fun of ourselves. But the idea that, you know, British people aren't really going to get this like we will is, <laughs> is really, really nice. Yeah. I yeah. love that. And yeah, listening wise, the Carano Dangerous album album, it's good.
2: I'm disappointed with that. But I think really? I just find Daniel Mess's production at this point to be the same thing. Sure. It's it's lovely. Yeah. But I just, I, I don't feel anything for it. I just feel like it's almost like a weird, beautiful autopilot he has on. He's just like,
3: yeah. he's
2: so good at making that music that he seems to be able to do it in his sleep. And I just don't, I never warm to it anymore. Sure. Like the Broken Bells stuff anything he's done since I'm just like oh it's Danger Mouse here we go yeah it's the same to me like I
3: I was definitely coming into it more as like a Karen o fan and I love what she's done on it so yeah it, it was really really enjoyable I haven't given it sort of enough listens to have like any definitive thoughts on it but an enjoyable album nonetheless and I've just, I've gone back and just listened to loads of Father John Misty recently as well. But what's new there? Getting
2: all Misty-eyed.
3: Getting all Misty. Yeah, that's me. <laughs>
2: I've been listening to the posthumous Carter Walsh album, The Lucid, which was released three years since its passing. Um, He is the male musician who passed away three years ago. The album is called The Lucid. It was finished by his friends and collaborators. There was a couple of... Um, Nice, like, uh, live kind of dates uh, to where they played the album to market the occasion. One in the Sugar Club and one in Swinford and Mayo, where he was from. And a really beautiful album, like, beautiful piano Um album and a lot of acoustic and uh, contemporary classical kind of electronic melodies Hauschka, Niels Fram, all that kind of stuff were influences for Connor sadly uh, gone too soon but a really lovely thing to hear uh, somebody take the reins and finish some of the work and present a body of work from somebody who is no longer with us and uh, obviously tinge with some melancholy and, and sadness because of that fact uh, but you know it's a really lovely tribute and a really lovely way to mark somebody's um, existence is by releasing an album of their work and clearly he made uh, a lot of great music and it's all there for us to hear now thankfully so yeah. you know a nice thing uh, i've been watching flea bag that's the other thing i've been oh, doing yeah. this week uh, which is full on cringe but also very funny and i've been really enjoying <laughs> that a lot yeah. And I think that's about it. Um, I've been working solid for the last week, eight days. I'm going to go home and go to bed for uh, more than five hours (laughs) uh, for once. So I'm really looking forward to that. (laughs) And that's about about it from us this week. Um, Dre, thank you so much. Thank
3: you very much. Uh,
2: And thank you all for listening. Um, And as we said before, if you haven't subscribed to the Nylon 9 podcast, you can search Nylon 9 on all your platforms. And we are also, um, doing loads of things, including, um, putting on gigs. And, uh, one of these gigs is happening tonight, as you are probably, if you were listening on Thursday night, we're doing feature proof with Homebeat. It's back in the Bellow Bar tonight, uh, kicking off at eight o'clock. We have Margie Lewis. We have Keen Kavanagh of Softboy Records. And we have Kaz Nine, who is playing, um, as well. Uh, and I'm going to finish. The podcast uh, with a track from Kaz Nine, who's uh playing Feature Proof tonight. This is a new song from Kaz uh, along with the producer C Dot, and the song is called Walk It Off. And thank you very much. And look after yourself and walk it look off after yourself. Each other. <laughs> look after each other. Good night, Bye. and good good day, and good evening, and good morning, and see you later. Bye. Days,
4: you can
0: put my picture in. you know your daily, and there ain't no change, I'll be on my tippy toes, trying not to fuck shit up, can you see my face, I'll be picking up the All your delits And there ain't no change
4: I'll
0: be on my tippy toes Trying not to, trying not to fuck shit up Can you see my face? I'll be picking up a page